Well, if you were following along with uh, Bruce's pattern, you would think that we're going to be in the teens, but we're actually in uh, in the 30s. And so uh, Psalm 32, which you can find on page 546 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if you'll stand with me as we read God's Word. We're going to be in Psalm 32, and uh, we're going to be uh, hearing Bruce's message this morning about um, good news for the guilty, and that is certainly good news indeed. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just come to you in Jesus' name. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that... That even though we are all guilty, that there is hope for deliverance and hope for forgiveness and the ability to have a relationship with you. God, we don't deserve that relationship. We don't. But God, thank you for making that way possible through Jesus. God, we just, um, we pray that we would not take our sin lightly and that we would not just take things for granted but to cling to you and press into you. And God, just help us to love you as we ought and to grow in our love for you and to grow in our, in our holiness because you've asked us to be holy because you are holy. And God, we know that that's only possible um, through a relationship with your son and through the guiding of the Holy Spirit and through learning from your word. So, God, as we listen to what you have to say through Pastor Bruce this morning, just help us to hear with our ears, understand with our head, live in our heart, and apply with our hands. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Kevin read for us, Psalm 32 is all about good news for the guilty. I'm so thankful for that, especially in light of what we learned last Sunday in Psalm 14, that we all play the role of the fool. By definition that we learned last Sunday, that is, we're all guilty of sin. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the novelist who created the master detective Sherlock Holmes, he enjoyed a practical joke at the expense of some of his friends, and he sent an identical telegram to 12 of his friends. The telegrams were anonymous, and they simply read, All has been discovered. Flee at once. 
And within 24 hours, all 12 men had fled the country. So let me ask you a question. Is there some unconfessed sin in your life that has perhaps put you on the run from your guilty conscience? If so, again, I have good news. However, we must first discover, we must first identify the bad news. You can run, but you cannot hide from God. King David, the author of this particular psalm, in fact, he's been the author of all the psalms we've been going through in this series, and he's the author of Psalm 32. He learned this truth the hard way. You go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and there we find that David was in the prime of his life. He was at the height of his powers as the king over Israel. And yet, at that time, he foolishly sent his armies out to war as he stayed back and relaxed at home. David was secure, or at least he thought he was, in his military strength. But his spiritual weakness left him vulnerable to temptation when from his balcony he saw a beautiful woman bathing on her rooftop. And David, as we know the story, many of us do, he lusted after her. He soon committed adultery with her. That is Bathsheba, the wife of his soldier Uriah. And this began a free fall that took David from adultery to murder. For more than a year after that, David lived in a sort of self-deception, thinking, man, I've gotten away with it all. Nobody knows. Nobody has found out. But David was wrong. He could run, but he could not run or hide his sin from God. David finally hit rock bottom when God confronted him through a prophet named Nathan. You find the story in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13 there, where David finally comes clean after Nathan confronts him about his sin. He comes clean before God, and he confesses to Nathan and God, I have sinned against the Lord. This confession of David, his confession of sin, of adultery, and ultimately murder, this whole confession, you can read about it in Psalm 51. In fact, there David prays, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my guilt. And so what we see here, you have Psalm 51, which is the confession of David's sin. And you have Psalm 32 here. And Psalm 32 is the sequel to Psalm 51, even though in our Bibles it comes first. Psalm 51 was probably written first, though. In fact, most commentators believe it was written during the anguish of his guilt under which David suffered so severely. While Psalm 32 was written after the anguish, he's looking back on his life after his forgiveness has been received and after his joy has been restored. And so in many ways, what we find here in Psalm 32 is now a song of praise to God for the blessing of God's forgiveness in David's life. In other words, Psalm 32, we could say, is good news for the guilty. And who here has not been guilty of sin? And so we can summarize David's message of Psalm 32 in this manner. 
In fact, I invite you to uh, pull out your notes there in your bulletin, follow along, follow along on the screen behind me, and we find the big idea here of what David's telling us in Psalm 32 is simply this, is that sin can be forgiven. And to that we say amen, we're thankful. Sin can be forgiven. But that fact, that truth should motivate us. God's forgiveness should compel us, it should motivate us to confess our sins rather than conceal our sins. I repeat, the bad news is that you can run, but you cannot hide from God. But the good news is that you can run to God and you can hide in God. God is ready. God is willing. He is able to forgive us of our sins. He is more than ready to give us another chance, a fresh start, a new beginning, just like he did for David. This is good news for both lost sinners and even for saved sinners here today. And so by the grace of God, the mercy of God, sin can be forgiven when we confess it to God Almighty rather than conceal our sin. Now, right away, we see something here. This psalm is very relevant and very practical for our lives. For we live in a world today that is filled with people who are living under the guilt of sin and who are in great need of the forgiveness of God. Marganina Lasky was one of England's best-known novelists a self-proclaimed atheist, and shortly before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor, Lasky was asked in a television interview, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have no one to forgive me, she said. Now, just imagine that. In your own thinking, what it would be like, I have no one to forgive me, but we do have someone. We have a God, a Heavenly Father, who wants to forgive us of our sins. That's why the Apostles' Creed includes the following truth as a central doctrine of our Christian faith. And it says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let that phrase sink in. Let it hit home. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? The good news for the guilty is that sin can be forgiven. Now... Let's unpack this. Let's dive into it. Let's find out more about this good news for the guilty. And what we see first here is that receiving God's forgiveness is a blessing. It is a blessing. Before David shares his his personal testimony in this psalm of his own guilt and his confession and forgiveness, he first starts by applying the blessing of forgiveness to everyone who confesses their sin to God. Notice how David begins again in verses 1 through 2. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so David begins Psalm 32 the same way he begins the very first psalm, Psalm 1. He begins with this word, blessed, which simply means Uh, happiness, joy, and peace. Ultimately, blessed is the idea of God's favor on your life. Charles Spurgeon described it this way. It's bundles of inner peace, mountains of soul delights. 
And so in this context of Psalm 32, blessed means to experience a sort of joyful bliss because the favor of God is on you. Think about the phrase that is sometimes used at weddings, marital bliss. The intention of that phrase is to picture the the love and harmony, the intimacy, and even the happiness of a husband and wife. And that's kind of the the perfect picture of the blessedness of God's forgiveness that we receive. We experience with God when we receive his blessing or his forgiveness as we experience his peace. We can look God in the eyes and not feel a speck of shame or an ounce of guilt. In other words, we can confidently sing all is well with my soul. Why? And because I have been forgiven. My relationship with God is renewed. There's fellowship and harmony. There is bliss now, blessedness. For there are few feelings as crippling as guilt over unconfessed sin. And there are few feelings as freeing as knowing that all our sin has been set forgiven with God, and all has been set right with God. One writer says this way, the joy is so great because the sin is so defeating. And so notice a couple of observations here about the blessing of God's forgiveness that David identifies for us. In fact, he kind of tells us it's threefold, this blessing. First of all, that God will carry our sin away. He uses a word that we're, we not too familiar with. We don't use in our everyday vocabulary this word transgression. It means an act of rebellion. And so it's describing here, when he uses the word transgression, a willful act of, of disobedience. It's when you know the right thing to do, but you essentially say in your heart and mind, I don't care that that's the right thing to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's a transgression. And David is saying here to us, I'm guilty of that. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, knowing full well that what he was doing was wrong. And so no wonder David writes now, blessed is the one whose transgression or sin is forgiven. Now the word forgiven is a word that pictures our sin being lifted away or lifted off and carried away. And with it, the idea of our burden of guilt is lifted away and carried away. In other words, before sin is confessed, we bear it like some great burden. But when we confess it to God, he lifts it from our shoulders and he carries it away. And when God carries our sin away, according to Psalm 103 verse 12, listen, he removes it as far as the east is from the West. So the first blessing of God's forgiveness here is he will carry our sin away as far as the east is from the west. And then number two, a second blessing is God will cover the record of our sin. The word sin, it means to miss the mark or to fall short of the goal. It's a sports term that refers to the archer who carefully shoots, but he misses the target. It's those times when you try to do right, but you fall short of doing right. You fall short of pleased of what is pleasing to God. And David says also, I'm guilty of that. I fall short of that. But God now says, listen, I've got you covered. You fall short, I got you covered. Your sin is covered, David. 
And the word covered, it means to conceal out of sight and no longer able to cause guilt or fear. In other words, when God forgives our sin, the record of the sin is removed and it is concealed. God will never bring it up again as a grounds of displeasure. He will never bring it up again as a matter of judgment to hang over your life. Not in this life, nor in the life to come. Why? Because if we are forgiven in Christ Jesus, then our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then we find third, the third blessing here, is God will not count our sin against us. And David uses another interesting word that we're not too familiar with, this word iniquity. It refers to that which is crooked or twisted. Transgression in sin describes our sinful ways. In other words, how we live. Whereas iniquity describes our sinful nature. And it's the inclinations of our sinful nature, our fallen nature, that result in a sinful, twisted thought, words, and deeds. And David is guilty all of this. And even worse, verse 2 says David was also guilty of Deceit. Now, we're familiar with deceit. And in David's case, the idea here is that he was not honest with God about his sin. He tried to hide his sin from God. And, of course, he learned the hard way that that's an impossible task. You cannot hide your sin from God. But he was deceitful. He lived a whole year in deceit trying to fool himself and ultimately fooling God, and you cannot do neither. But when he finally got honest with God about his sin, David says, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. This word count, it's it's actually an accounting term, and it means God does not count the sin against us. In other words, if God does not count does not count our forgiven sins, it means that there's no record of them anymore. Why? Because as we said already, our sins are paid for with Christ's death on the cross. And so there's no doubt about it. When we come to the psalm, David was a front-running candidate for God's judgment against sin. But what he deserved was not what he received. His transgression was forgiven. With the unbearable burden of his guilt being lifted off and carried away. His sin was covered with all of its ugliness hidden under the divine atonement. God did not count his iniquity against him like a creditor who graciously lifts the debt off of your life. Never to repay and calling off his collectors. No wonder David sings, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there's no deceit. And so I ask, is that your story today? Is that your testimony? Have you received this blessing that David talks about here? Listen, God's forgiveness of sin brings great joy to our lives and also great relief. Can you imagine the judge of the universe Pounding his gavel and proclaiming on your life, not guilty. 
At that moment, you're free from the guilt of your sins. You're free from the weight of condemnation that hangs over you. Listen, there's no greater joy and relief than knowing that your sins are now totally forgiven. Like David, believers of all ages have come before God to confess their sins and have gone away filled with renewed joy and a sense of relief knowing that God has forgiven their sins once and for all in Jesus Christ. Mark it down. Mark it down. Receiving God's forgiveness for sins is an incredible blessing. But also know, number two here, that seeking God's forgiveness is a choice. Seeking it is a choice. Look what David writes in verses 3 through 5. And see if you can pick out how David chooses to deal with his sin. In verse 3, David writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heart of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so what we see here is we have two choices when it comes to dealing with our sin. We can either conceal our sin and remain guilt-ridden, or we can confess our sin and receive the blessing of God's forgiveness. Those are the two choices before us. Conceal sin or confess sin. In concealing our sin, listen, that's what Adam and Eve did. In the Garden of Eden, when they tried to make fig leaves for themselves to cover their guilt and shame after they had sinned against God. Or, or there's another option, a better option. We can confess our sin, and then God will cover us with the blood of Christ. Just like God covered Adam and Eve with animal skins, which required the shedding of blood. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 3. And so what we have here is two choices that David faced when dealing with his own sin. And David begins to, to unpack for us these two choices that he went through. Notice, David, in the beginning, he made this horrible, awful choice to conceal sin. Notice what he says about it. First of all, David kept silent about his sin. He kept silent about it. David recalls the, the year or so of, of time between his sin with Bathsheba and his con- confrontation with the prophet Nathan. And he describes that time candidly and directly. And he simply says about it, I kept silent. From the time he committed his adultery and murder to the time that Nathan confronted him, he is silent. He is in deception. And he's not saying a word. David's first choice was just like Adam and Eve and is just like every human being who has ever lived. He foolishly tried to hide his sin from God. And there are many ways we try to do this. David tried to ignore it. He tried to deny it. And ultimately, he kept silent about it. 
And this phrase, kept silent, it's an interesting word picture that David's using here. It actually pictures a stubborn, willful choice to do something. And in particular with David, to keep silent about it. Why? David was trying to suppress something in his life. He's trying to suppress the truth about his sin. But that's like trying to keep a beach ball to stay submerged underwater at a swimming pool. Listen, you have to exert constant effort to keep it from coming up to the surface. But notice how futile David's efforts were. We see not only he kept silent, and the result of that is David suffered. He suffered from guilt over his sin. During this period of silence, David says that his bones, notice the wording he used, wasted away through his groaning all day long. In other words, David was tired and weary. He was tapped out as his bones wasted away under the groaning of his guilt. And groaning, that's a, that's a word here that is used of a roaring lion or a raging warrior in the heat of battle or a person in extreme pain or groaning. In other words, David's pent-up guilt within him was like this bubbling cauldron in his soul. His suppressed sin was like a brewing volcano overflowing within him. Picture it like this. The quieter David's heart was, the louder his conscience roared. David's mouth was silent, but he could not silence his guilt. And he suffered for it physically, emotionally, and spiritually. In David's silence and suffering, it issues to us a warning to every one of us here this morning. And the warning is this. If we don't deal with our guilt, then our guilt will deal with us. One way or the other, we will speak. We will either speak to God words of confession and repentance over our sin, or we will scream words of guilt and grief and groaning. Listen, our souls will not remain silent about our sin, even if our lips keep silent about our sin. One of the reasons that our souls will not remain silent is because God speaks words of conviction to our souls. David says it this way in verse 4. He says, for day and night, your hand, whose hand? He's referring to the Lord's hand. And he's using figurative language here to describe God speaking to him. For day and night, God, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. That word heavy was used in the Old Testament for being buried under tons of dirt and sand and of being weighed down and immovable because of heavy chains. So think about this with me just for a moment in relation to the heavy hand of our God upon us. Picture knowing that you messed up at school. You did something wrong. And now you're being called into the principal's office. Or picture knowing that you blew it at work and now you're being called into your boss's office. Now multiply that many, many times over and picture knowing that you sinned against the God of the universe and you're now being called in face to face with God in his throne room. 
That's what David was feeling. That's what he's describing here. David's own guilt plus God's heavy hand of conviction crushed him body and soul. His physical, emotional, and spiritual strength was tapped out. He was dried up like a plant in a drought in a desert. And yes, God's hand protects us and supports us as his children. But there are times where God's hand also corrects and disciplines his children. And that's what David's referring to here. Perhaps you've been there before. Perhaps some of you are there even right now. You're caught in the spider web of sin. And you can't find your way out. You keep trying to pretend. You keep trying to cover it up, to deny it, to hide it. But it's no use. It's eating you up on the inside. And like David, our hidden sin, it crushes us, body, soul, and spirit. Day and night, in the words of David, we are what? We're wasting away. So what do we do instead of concealing sin? We do what finally David did. We make the wonderful choice to now confess our sin to God. Look what David says in verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, pay attention here because this is really interesting. David uses the exact same three words for sin here in verse 5 as he did in the first two verses of the psalm. He uses the word transgression, he uses the word sin, and he uses the word iniquity. Now that's not by happenstance, that's not by coincidence. That is intentional on David's part. You may be wondering, well, why is that? Well, at the beginning of the psalm, David chose those three words to cover the scope of his sin. He didn't want to leave anything out. He's confessing it all to God. And now he uses the same three words to show that he is confessing all of his sin to God. In other words, David didn't hold anything back. He confessed it all to God. And the beautiful thing is, God forgave it all as well. So how do we do this? How do we confess our sin to God? We follow the same three steps that David used. Notice this, number step one. That is to acknowledge your sin to God. And acknowledge is simply the idea of making something known. And in this case... We are making known our sin before God. Now, it's not that God doesn't already know our sin and know all about it. He does. The acknowledgement is for our benefit. In other words, when we acknowledge, we're taking ownership of it. We are not blaming ourselves. We're not blaming our circumstances. We're not blaming somebody else. We are taking responsibility for our sin in our acknowledgement of it to God. In other words, we are also agreeing with God about our sin. We're saying, God, what I did here, and in David's case, it was adultery, deception, and ultimately murder. David is saying, God, that is sin. 
You said it was sin first and foremost, and I now agree with you on it. And so in our acknowledgement, we are owning it and we are acknowledging and agreeing with God about our sin. We are not deflecting, we are not blaming. And that is the culture in which we live. So this is anti-culture, what David's first step here, is to acknowledge it without blaming, without making excuses. It's admitting, and we take responsibility for it. Step number two, then, is to ask God to forgive you of your sin. Why? Well, as Proverbs 28, 13 reminds us, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so when we admit our sin, and then we ask God to forgive us, In that process, we are obtaining the mercy of God. We're obtaining his forgiveness. We have this promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what is God faithful to do? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So we acknowledge, we ask, and step number three, then we accept. We accept God's forgiveness for our sin. In fact, David declares these wonderful words about God's forgiveness. He says, in speaking to God, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, that's good news for the guilty. God can be trusted to forgive us our sins when we confess them. Notice that God forgave David immediately. There's no delay. There's no time to reconsider. There's no probation period here. There is just forgiveness. Here's what's amazing about God's grace. You realize there is no sin. No sin is too great to be forgiven when we confess it to God. David committed adultery and ultimately murder. And yet God forgave. God is more anxious to forgive than we are to forgive. To confess. And David concludes the psalm of forgiveness now with some counsel about sin. In the first part of this psalm, he's kind of writing his own journal, his own testimony about what God took him through, his own choices, bad and good. He first concealed his sin, and he was miserable for it a whole year. The prophet Nathan confronts him, gets God's gets his attention. In other words, he's like the prodigal son who all of a sudden comes to his senses in the pig pen and says, why am I living like this? I'm in misery. I need to go to the home, to the father. He will forgive me. And that's what David does. And he's journaling about that for our benefit. But now it's as if he turns to us here and he says, listen to me. Let me offer you some counsel about all this. And that's what we find here in verses 6 through 9. In verse 6, David shifts from testifying about his own sin and God's forgiveness to now teaching us about how we should respond when we sin. And so you can almost sense, you almost hear, reading between the lines here, David's concern for us. He wants to spare us 
from the guilt and grief and groaning of unconfessed sin that he experienced. In other words, he doesn't want us to go through what he went through when he concealed his sin for a whole year. He doesn't want us to learn the hard way. How many of you have kids who have to learn the hard way? Yeah. And and how many of us are one of those kids who sometimes have to learn the hard way? Let me tell you, we all are. And David's trying to scream at us and say, listen, learn from me, not through your own experience here. Don't learn the hard way. Learn through this, that you can run, but you can't hide your sin from God. And so David tells us here in verses 6 through 9, look at it, look what he says. He says, therefore, therefore, therefore what? In light of what I've just told you, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You, God, are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or it will not stay near you. So what's David saying here? There's a lot here in these verses. We don't have time to go through all of it. So let me give you the big idea, the main emphasis here. Here's David's counsel in one sentence. Notice it in your notes. David's counsel simply is, don't be like a stubborn mule. That's what he's saying. Don't be like a stubborn mule. Instead, humble yourself. And turn to God now for his forgiveness of sin. Now, I'm sure most of us here know what it's like to be like a stubborn mule. And let me tell you, it is not a good place to be in life. Especially when it comes to sin. In fact, it is an agonizing place to be, as David has already described for us in verse 3. For when I kept silent, and here's, here's the cue. When David was keeping silent, what was he being like? stubborn mule. He was being stubborn. He was being a dumb mule. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. And so David is warning us, don't be like me. Don't be a stubborn mule when it comes to dealing with your sin. When David saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop, he was like a wild horse galloping uncontrollably to sin. And afterward, he was like a stubborn mule kicking against God's conviction to confess it. And so David warns us here, don't be like that animal. Don't be like a stubborn mule so that God has to discipline you with a bit and bridle in order to bring you back to him. Instead, David exhorts us that the way not to be a mule is to humble ourselves and to turn to God his forgiveness. In fact, he says in verse 6, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. That's interesting because that probably shatters most of our perceptions about who the godly are. When you hear the word godly, what person do you think of? What do you think of? Godly. 
A lot of people think godly people don't sin. But godly people do sin. This may be a revelation for those who mistakenly equate godliness with perfection, but the two are not synonymous. So get this, godliness is not the absence of sin in our lives, but rather the response towards sin in our lives. When it comes to sin, godliness is the opposite of stubbornness. Godliness calls on the Lord. Now, while he may still be found, godly people are not like stubborn mules. When godly people sin, they don't try to hide their sin from God. Godly people don't try to live in constant deceit about their sin. Godly people, because they have the Holy Spirit within them, they are convicted by their sin and they respond then to that conviction. They confess it. They don't try to conceal it. And when they do confess that godly people experience the blessing of God's forgiveness. And David desperately wants you not to be a stubborn mule, but to be like the godly. And the godly confess their sin. David wants you to experience the blessing of God's forgiveness. And the good news for the guilty is our sin. Your sin can be forgiven but the choice is yours. Notice this. You can be surrounded this morning by the sorrows of unconfessed sin, or you can be surrounded by the joy of God's forgiveness. This is why David ends the way he does with these words in verses 10 through 11. He says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Is that you this morning? Because of unconfessed sin in your heart. But steadfast love, David says, surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So again, here's the two options. You can either live a life of concealing sin, but you will be surrounded by many sorrows. Is that your life today? When you go to bed at night and you lay your head on the pillow, is your heart filled with sorrow or joy? Or you can live a life of confessing sin, and David says you will be surrounded by the joy of God's forgiveness. And so the choice is yours here this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? And as we take a few moments to respond to the word of God here this morning, the instrumentalists are going to come and play through a course. And this is the time in our worship service where right where we're seated, we respond to what God's speaking to us about. And here's the deal. This morning, we all have something to respond to because we are all sinners by birth and by choice. And so all of us can respond in some way or another. And perhaps you're here and you have never received the forgiveness of God's. And so now would be the opportunity for the first time in your life to cry out to God and to humbly repent of your sin 
to ask Jesus to forgive you and save you. And you can do that right now in the quietness of your heart and pray to God. I know many of you are already Christ followers. You have already have a relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ, but perhaps you are dealing with unconfessed sin in your heart even now. And the joy is gone and has been replaced by grief and sorrow of guilt. Listen, come to the Father now. Cry out to him and ask God to forgive you and receive his forgiveness and let him renew the joy of your salvation. Won't you respond? That's the intermittent instrumentalist play.